which is the heavenly places and heaven and uh, so forth. And uh, I, I want to go up this morning and kind of finish up the battle plan that we, were, we started looking at last time. Ephesians chapter number 1, this has kind of been our launch pad, uh, pad, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The standard, the mark for the power of God coming out of verse 19 is the resurrection of the dead, but also the placing of the Lord Jesus Christ at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, and not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And again, the last time we saw, we begin to see and look at uh, the, the process of the plan of reconciliation. Four things to remember about the heavenly places. One, they're real. They're a real location. They're real places. Two, they are organized. There's a structure, the principalities, the powers, the mights, the dominions, the thrones, the, the rulers, the every other name that's named. Four, third, number three, the big one, is right now they are in the hands of the adversary. Satan is the prince, the power of the air. He is in control of these, this structure, this governmental structure at the moment. But number four, let your heart not... Be troubled, as the guys on the radio like to say, and misquote a verse out of the, okay. God has a plan to reconcile the governmental structure of the heaven and the earth. If you look back at chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things. And again, that all things is the governmental structure the, the powers, the principalities, the powers, the mights, the thrones, the dominions, the rulers, the every other name that's named, gather all that back on in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And back down there at verse number 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. He is the head of all of it of the governmental structure, but notice in verse 22 it says, to the church. He, his being, him being the head is to our advantage. Who are, where are we? Are, we are what? We are complete where? In him. So when, when we, believers, saints of the Most High, are in Christ at the moment of salvation, he instantly, by the way, chapter 2 down verse 6, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are in him. We have this, this wonderful participation in the reconciling of the heavenly places. Uh, come over with me to Colossians 1. Again, just this is kind of review for a few minutes here to get our thinking back in. Uh, if you've had a week like I've had a week, it's been a long week. Okay, and, and sometimes you get distracted, you get off of what we're thinking, and I just want to take the time with you to get you to come back. A lot of things going on in the world today that distracts our thinking from what we ought to be thinking and considering and paying attention to. Chapter 1, verse, uh, Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. He, when he created Genesis 1, we see the record there of creation. He also created this governmental structure. He created it, end of verse 16, was created by him, but also what? For him. It's for his glory. It's for his occupation. It's for his benefit. In verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Whether, I'm, I'm sorry, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And again, the all things aren't the grass, the trees, the buildings. It isn't that. It's this issue of this governmental structure. And you and I, as members of the body of Christ, we participate, we are, work with him in those uh, positions of authority. The nation of Israel will sit on the earth. They will work with him in the earth, in their realm, in the same authority. David will be resurrected and be set as king over, over Israel. The 12 apostles will be resurrected and set as the 12 apostles sitting on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes then will go out and they will begin to rule and have authority over the Gentiles that lay in their their section, their quadrant of the earth. And as that begins to work and as that begins to move through, earth is then underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as you and I sit in those heavenly places, the heaven is back under his headship. Come over with me to Revelation chapter 12. Now last time we went back and looked at Numbers 33 and we saw how the the plan, the, the prescription for the reconciliation program was laid out. And we saw in Numbers 33 that Moses tells Israel when you, that the Lord's going to go in with you when you come into that land, and the first thing you're going to do is dispossess the enemy. You're going to remove the enemy. Remember that? Thank you. Then, number two, you're going to go in and dwell in that land. So the prescription is dispossess the enemy, but then go dwell in the land. By the way, when they dispossessed the enemy out of the land of Canaan, they were to destroy everything. They weren't to keep any of it. They were to go in and they were to destroy it all. And Joshua, at the end of Joshua, says, my generation did that. Now it's up to you generations to carry on. And you know what happened? They didn't do that. After Joshua's generation, they go, Israel goes in and fights, and you know what they kept? The good stuff. They kept the king's palace. They, they moved into it. They kept the gold and the silver. They kept all, and you know what they were supposed to do with all that? Destroy it all. So you dispossess the enemy. We looked over there at Luke 11. I'm sorry, Luke 18. Uh, it's one of the two. Luke 11 or Luke 18? Take a pick. I think it was Luke 11. We looked at Luke 11 where we saw the strong man in the Luke 18. I miss Greg. Not. Okay. Uh, actually, I do. But uh, you, we went over and looked at Luke 11 about the strong man. And the stronger than he, the strong man, the adversary, he's got palaces and places and all this stuff. And then the stronger than he, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And you know what he does? 
He spoils the strong man, defeats him. But then Luke 11 goes on, just like Numbers 33 said, and says, you know what, though? If you guys there don't get back up there and fill in that ground, that strong man's going to come back. And when he comes back, you, it's going to be even worse than it was before. So in order to make the Lord Jesus Christ the head of the universe, first of all, he has to be placed in that position. He has to be placed in the position to occupy that position, which he has been. He is set at the Father's right hand where? Far above, what, all of that, right? But then two, he has to, he has to come in and dispossess the enemy and then cause his people to dwell there. Follow that? Revelation 12 is where we stopped last time. I want to pick up here, kind of clean some things up, just kind of review with you so you see what we're talking about, and then we'll move on next time looking at some other things about that. Revelation 12, verse 7. There's a war in heaven, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his army fought, I'm sorry, his angels fought against the devil, and the, de and the dragon fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Michael, the commander, the chief of commanders of, the, of God's army, the dragon, Satan, he's got his army. The dragon is in rebellion. There's rebellion up there. But notice something. They fight. This isn't tea, a, tea, a tea party. This isn't a kickback, hey, how you doing thing. This is an all-out war. That's why it says a war in heaven. It's interesting that Satan does not give up. The fight is on. So he has to be taken out. Verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. He prevailed not. He lost. He didn't win the battle. Again, that issue of their place was not found. Neither was their place found. That, that physical location, the, the, position, that, the issue of that place there is that position of authority in the heavenly places. They had... The, they had it, but what, who, who showed up? Michael and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see in Isaiah here in just a minute. They show up. There's a battle goes on, and they're dispossessed. Now watch verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the, the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. Notice he's not destroyed as in no longer existing. He's just what? He's been dispossessed from the heavenly land up there, the heavenly places. He's been kicked out into heaven. Him, all of his... The Lord goes up there and spoils him, takes his palace, takes his armament. When we were studying in Luke back several years ago, uh, it's, odd, it's, on, it's only on audio. We never thought about video recording it, but we, we were in Luke 8, and we were studying in there about three or four weeks about a territory in, in the northern end of Israel, in the, the Damascus area, that becomes literally the headquarters of Satan here on the earth. Guess what's up in heaven? A corresponding area. Satan always kind of drifts towards that mount in the congregation of the north. Isaiah 14, that's Job 1, and so forth. So he's got a physical palace. HQ. He's got armies, armaments all over. 
and he's gone. He's been cast out where? To the earth. He, he's cast out to the, the, for that last battle. But what does God have to do? What's the, what's the, pre, pre, uh, the, the formula? Kick them out, fill it up, right? Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Notice, by the way, when you read and study and read through Revelation, one of the keys in helping you understand what's going on is understanding who's talking and where they're talking from. This guy, and I heard a voice saying where? In heaven, not on the earth, not down here, but where? In heaven. So where are we at? In heaven, and what's been established up there? His salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. What's been established now in the heavens? The kingdom has. Who, are, who is that? That's us. Paul says, hold on to here, flip back over to, to the end of uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, it's not the end of 1 Timothy. It's the end of 2 Timothy, sorry. 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. You see, folks, we don't talk about like we're a kingdom people because when you talk that way, people think of Israel and Israel's program. And Paul doesn't talk to about us that way. He says that we are members of the body of Christ. Okay, But look at 4.18, Paul at the end. He says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. When he talks about kingdom in Revelation 12.10, he's talking about the authority, the rule, the government. Salvation and strength and the government of God, the kingdom of God has come. Verse 12, Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that, what? Dwell in them. There we are. If you and I, if you're looking for the church, the body of Christ on the pages of Revelation, the only place I can find us is right here. Because we do what? We dwell in the heavenly places, don't we? Here in the midst of the 70th week, Satan is dispossessed, kicked out of the heavenly places. And then we are installed into, we are to dwell in his place. And the reason for that, by the way, you keep reading and you know where Satan's at now. The focus is down on the earth. Do you know why that's the way it is? Because Satan now knows that he can never go back to the heavens. Why? Who's there? We are. So guess what? The strong man goes back. Luke 11, think about it. The strong man goes back to the house, and you know what he finds it? Occupied, not empty. You remember that? Go back to Luke 11. You guys looking at me like I'm, huh? Luke 11, come on. This is Bible study. Yes, sir. Luke 11. Luke 11, verse uh, 20, you, uh, verse 21 is where the, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. And when the stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he shall take him all his armor, 
I'm sorry, take from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. And he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. What's happening there? What's, that? What's Satan doing? Satan's been kicked down to the earth. What's he, what would he do? He'd go back where he just came from. Let's see what's going on up there. See? But he can't because who's there now? We are. That's wonderful. There's the, our participation in the reconciliation of the heavenly places. Where Satan now knows, Revelation 12 over there, Satan goes on and he goes after chasing Israel and all that stuff and finishing out her program, the back half of the 70th week of Daniel. And what happens there? He can never return to the heavens. Come back over with me to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34. Now, get some of the details on how all of that in Revelation is talking about. Because, and what we've been talking about, Isaiah 34 and verse 1. And again, in the Old Testament, they are not, uh, not they, are, they are very aware that the heavens belong to the Lord. They don't walk around going, we don't see up there. They don't do that. David says, hey, man, the heavens declare your glory, man. We, we know that the heavens belong to the Lord. The earth belongs to man. They're very clear on that. But yet they, they understand some things that are going to happen in the heavens. They just don't have the details. Look at 34.1. Come, come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. So he's not just, Isaiah here is not just talking to Israel. God through Isaiah is talking to who? Everybody. This is not just Israel. This is ye nations, everybody, the whole earth come and listen. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. Here's the day of wrath. Here's the, the, the second coming and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses and the mountain shall be melted with their blood. That's the second coming down over there in Revelation 19. We'll get to it in just a minute where he comes down through out of that north down around there and he's just, but notice, by the way, just, it's upon all their what? Armies. What Satan's going to do through the Antichrist is he's going to call the armies of the world to the battlefield. When the Lord destroys the armies, he doesn't destroy all the Gentiles. He doesn't wipe out all the people. Otherwise, there's nobody for the nation of Israel to go talk to in the kingdom. Over there in Zechariah, it talks, says all those who are left after the sword. <laughs> See, we got this weird idea that when God comes back, he's, a, he's atomic bombing the whole earth. He's not doing that. But he is on the battlefield of the armies. Satan's going to, he's got them. The Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, and all that. He's got the world nations under his thumb politically. 
You got to remember, the Antichrist is a politician. He's a political entity all through his career as the man of sin and as the son of perdition. As a man of sin, he's a man just like you and I, and he goes out politically and gains his control. Politically, he goes and, and, and uh, well, I'm on a rabbit trail, aren't I? He goes out politically and he frees Israel. Everybody, oh, got to be a friend of Israel. You know who the true friend of Israel is going to be in the day? It's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to deliver them from war. He's got a peace policy. He comes in with flatteries. He comes and does all this. And Israel signs the covenant with death and hell, Isaiah says. He says, I got them. They're mine. And the Lord comes back and he goes, come on then, you got them. And you know what Satan's going to do? He's going to pick up the red phone, the bat phone. And he's going to call the world's armies to him. That's what we're talking about here in, in verse 3, 2, 3. Now watch verse 4. And all the host of heaven shall be, isn't that dissolved? Now there's Revelation 12, 7. And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a fig tree from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. When Isaiah wrote that, you know what he believed? What, what he wrote. He just did not understand how it was going to come to pass. Now we know that now today, don't we? Through the completed revelation given to the Apostle Paul. As we look back, we can say, wow, look at that. Now, when he says all the host of heaven, he's talking about all that governmental structure out there. What did Satan do? He lost his place, didn't he? He was dispossessed. He was kicked out. That all of that was dissolved. You know what the Lord does? The Lord, um, there it is. <laughs> Sorry. He takes the heavens, rolls it up, and then goes, I don't need all of that. This is what I need. I don't need 50,000 different ranks of position. I just need these eight slots, seven slots. I don't need, I'm, he takes all of what Satan did and just got rid of it, dissolved it, reorganizing. You know, you go through bankruptcy and you have to reorganize. You know what never left was the company. You just now have to do things a little different. Verse 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall do what? Come down unto Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The people of my curse, that's the nation of Israel, folks. The Old Testament talks about over and over again, the prophets talk about the Lord using the Antichrist as his rod of indignation to come in and to purge out the dross out of Israel, to purge out the rebel, to get off that mixed multitude and to true and, and present that true and pure nation. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fat, fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath sacrifice in Bozrah and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea, and the unicorn shall come down. And we'll talk about all that in a couple weeks when we talk about the creatures. 
Okay? Notice what's going on here. He's going to come down. His sword is bathed in heaven. And then he comes down to the earth. By the way, I said a minute ago, Isaiah doesn't know the details. Those details were kept secret. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, I think I put it on your list there, verse 7 and 8 says that if Satan had known the, about the details of the hidden wisdom of God, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know why he says that? Paul says that? Because if Satan had known what was happening, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, if Satan had known that this was going to happen, you know what he would have said? Uh-uh, don't kill him. You know why? Colossians 1, 20 says that he made peace by his cross. See, that cross work of Christ does more than just justify, save your rotten rear end from hell. It sets you as a member of the, of, the, of, the, of the saints of the Most High in the body of Christ. But then there's also some other ramification for the, worldly, for the world system that he can fix because of Calvary. Because of his cross. And I'll tell you what, that's fantastic. And that's wonderful to know. Come back over to Isaiah chapter 26. That's one of the reasons we're looking at this. You get out and you look around the world, what's going on today, kind of drag you down in the, in the dirt hole, in the mud puddle, and you need to be up. You need to be up on the mountaintop. <laughs> you don't need to be down in the mud puddle. Why? Because look at, who, look at what we get to participate in. Isaiah 26 here, verse number 20. Isaiah 26, 20, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors upon thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. He's talking to the believing remnant, talking about that day of wrath. Verse 21, For, behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and, and the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The Lord cometh where? Out of his place. Where's his place? Heaven. He's coming down. He has dispossessed the adversary. He has put his saints into those positions, and he has restored his possession of the heavenly government prior to coming to the earth. Come back to Revelation chapter 11. You guys out there? You okay? See what's going on? Now watch. We'll put all this up on the board that we've been talking about the last 30 weeks. <laughs> okay? Here you are. Your time starts at Calvary. When you look back across your life, Calvary jumps in the middle. I know we all go back to, Linda and I were cleaning up some boxes yesterday, and we found some stuff for Brian when he was a little kid, guy and everything. And oh, No, it stops at Calvary. That's where your look back does. You come along. You're long. Now, death happens. Absent from the body and what? Present with the Lord, right? There you go. Uh, we've talked about heaven. We saw that, right? Okay, thank you. But time keeps going on till we come to the rapture, don't we? At the time of the, thank you. At the time of the rapture, the Lord comes back. We meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The trump, the voice, the shout, all of that we've studied about the rapture. We go through the judgment seat of Christ out there. So we got the shout, the voice, the trumpet, 
the Lord himself, personal, nothing left out. We get to see, Lord, looking for the blessed appearance of our, the blessed hope. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, okay? I, I got to keep going or else we'll never get done this morning, and I got things to do this afternoon, okay? So do you. So, All right? He takes us out. He presents us to the Father, doesn't he? Okay? Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 19 and 20 there, the end of the chapter. He presents us to the Father. Meanwhile, back down here on the earth, there's a gap of time in here to, to get Daniel 9 and to get Israel up and running. you got the, the working of the 144,000 in here. You've, you've got some uh, Daniel 9 stuff and 10 stuff that's got to happen and get going. You've got to have the Antichrist come to power. You've got to have all that. And then on Revelation 6, you have the four horsemen. The fourth horseman and the horsemen are death and hell. Just look at it. Well, they sign a covenant with death and hell. That starts the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? Thank you. All right? Good deal. All right? So this timeline in here, nobody knows about. If anybody tells you they got an idea, it's just that, an idea. Okay? If they have verses, I'd like to see the verses because I can't find verses. And I'll be honest with you, I've looked. But... You get to here. Now, this week is divided in half. You got three and a half and three and a half. You got 42 months. You got all that good stuff, right? When he presents us to the Father, where does he go? Where does he leave? Isaiah 26. He leaves his place, doesn't he? Comes back down here, and there's war in heaven. Isaiah 34, Revelation 12. Meanwhile, back on the ranch... You and I, we're getting our governmental authority positions, right? We, at the judgment seat of Christ, our capacity, sorry, it's kind of chalky. Our capacities have been revealed for service. We're laid in, okay? Now, the war takes place. In the midst of the week, that 30-day period that bounces on both sides, Satan is cast down to, to the earth. Right? Thank you. Oh, make sure you guys are there. The Lord comes on back down in his second coming. Okay? Now, this is the Mediterranean Sea. Right? Whatever. Looks close enough. You can see it, right? Okay. Here's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, Jerusalem. In his second coming, there are a bunch of stuff that he's doing. Okay? In his second coming... He is establishing the new covenant with the believing remnant because the next thing that's going to happen over here is the establishment of the kingdom. But I need you to see here. He leaves his decreed place, Isaiah 26. He comes down. He's going to come down this way. Itamita and Bozrah sit down here, south end of the Dead Sea. He comes down through here. He comes down here goes around and crosses where everybody crosses the Jordan River. Joshua, Joseph, Elijah, Elisha, all them. The bridge. Okay? While he's coming down through this, he's making war. He's Revelation 11 and verse 15. 
And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's where we're at. That's why I, wanted, I want you to see this right here, okay? What's going on? The kingdom. See the kingdoms, plural, the kingdoms of our Lord? See that in verse? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our... You see the plurality there? From chapter 11 all the way over to chapter 20 is going to be about him establishing the kingdoms. Here's the heavenly kingdom established. Come over to Revelation 19. He's already established the heavenly kingdom. That's chapter 12, verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he, that, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he thus judge and make war. Uh-oh, now he's coming back. But what's he coming back to do? Heal everybody? No, make war. Why? Because what he did to Satan in heaven, he's got to do to Satan on the earth. He's got to dismantle the adversary. He's got to destroy his strongholds. So in the war here, when he comes down out of the north, this is, again, he comes down, he is making war. He is dismantling. He's beaten the Antichrist to a bloody pulp. He's just pounding on him. Blood is up to the bridle of the horse. Okay? You go over there and you read about, they come down in, in white and, and they end up speckled behind him. And they're just, well, if you ride a horse and you go through the mud, what happens behind you? The guy behind you gets dirty, doesn't he? Verse, two, verse 12, And his eyes were a flame of fire, and, his head, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Isaiah 63 Back there, first four or five verses, he talks about them being out of Edom and dipped in blood. This is a war. This is a bloody warfare till he crosses that Red Sea. I mean, I'm sorry, the Jordan River. And when he go, by the way, when he gets on the other side of the Jordan, he puts his foot down for the first time on the Mount of Olives. He hasn't set foot. He's riding the charger. He puts his foot down. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. <laughs> and out of his mouth. Out, by the way, notice it's the armies out of where? Out of where? where? Where was that war going on up there? So now who's with him if it's the armies out of heaven? Michael. And that whole group, they're chugging. By the way, not the saints. Not believing Israel, not the Old Testament saints, but who? Michael and the armies <laughs> they, and the angels, they come to do what? This is Fortnite and all that other battle stuff you see on the, uh, well, what do they got? Uh, I just had one in my head. The combat video games makes all that look like a joke. This is the real deal. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Wow, man, a sharp sword. Boy, you got to see this. Come back to Job. This stuff gets, come back, hold on to here. Come back to Job 40. 
41, 42. Nope, make it 40. Job 40. Folks, this stuff, you catch this stuff going on. You and I are participating in all of this. Job 40, it's not on your sheet, but you got room to write it down. Job 40, if you look down there at verse 15, Job 40, verse 15, Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox, and lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The, the sinews of, of his stone are wrapped together. His bones are as a strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He's the chief ways Chief of the ways of God, he hath made him, can make his sword to approach unto him. He's describing the Antichrist. You see the behemoth there? I know Schofield's got a thing, or the elephant, as some thing. That's not right. You go to Revelation 13, and you know what the description of the, of the, of, uh, the adversary is, the Antichrist is? He's, got, he's a composite being. He's made up of different animals, and that's what the behemoth is. Okay? But notice something there in verse 19. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Now come back to Revelation 19. I, Israel is going to look at that guy and think they can defeat him. But what did Job just say? You can't defeat him. The only one that can defeat him is the one that made him. Who made him? The Lord did. So guess who can defeat him? That's why verse 15 says, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. What would the sharp sword going out of his mouth be? Word of God. Okay? Get that? Yeah. He, he's speaking this stuff. Verse 15, and, with, and that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a the rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse, Revelation 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel come down. What's going to happen here? By the way, just so we kind of finish this route out, he comes across... He, he hovers over Jerusalem, delivers Jerusalem. Meanwhile, when he does that, the adversary runs back up north to that Damascus area. Back One last back. Then they come down into the Valley of Decision. You know what that is? The Battle of Armageddon. Everybody likes to talk about. And what happens is, is the Lord goes out there and ultimately defeats the adversary. Takes verse number 20. Uh, Revelation 19, I'll oh shoot, 1918 and uh, 1919. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, with, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles. You see what what happened to him? The end of verse 20. These both were cast alive into the lake of the fire, burning with brimstone. You see, he goes and final day gets them, bam, goes over and deposits them into the lake of fire. 21, 20 verse 1, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. I love that, a great chain. Not just a chain, but a heavy one. This thing was heavy. Took that angel some, I mean, he wasn't no scrawny little thin thing. He's a buffed up you know, work out strong man. 
And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. Shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season. Notice what happens. The Lord comes down. They, t- they deliver. He's delivered. He takes Satan and he, he takes um, the, advers- uh, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, puts them down over here in the lake of fire. Okay, that's just be way down there on the ground. But he takes Satan into the bottomless pit. And that's a compartment of hell. Okay, it's not in the lake of fire yet. It's in the part, part of hell. Bottomless pit. Have you ever been on something that's bottomless? It feels like you're falling forever, doesn't it? That's what going into hell feels like for the lost. They're falling forever. It's like bottomless. There's no bottom to it. Now, He binds him up for a thousand years. So we've got an intro period to the millennial king. We call it the millennium, to the kingdom. By the way, that kingdom is going to last for how long? Forever. Thank you, front row. Give her an A. Okay? All right? But what happens here is for a thousand years, Satan is what? Bound. Verse 7, 27. We're almost there. We're getting there. Chapter 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Notice that Satan doesn't give up. He's still trying to win. That's why this is a war. This isn't just one little battle. By the way, could the Lord had killed, just done away with this with the, with the word? Sure. But that's not the point. The point is, well, let's look at verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and they believed, uh, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. The, the kingdom is introduced with a thousand years of no, the devil made me do it, excuse for man. And if real quickly, to sum it up, the thousand years, the millennium, is there so to prove to man that their old sin nature is the issue and is the problem. Not the devil They can't say the devil made me do it. He ain't there. He's bound. He's going to go over, come over, flip over to Romans 1. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to think about what's happening in the thousand years. The Lord Jesus, Romans 1, the Lord Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. Justice and peace are now sit on the throne. There's no more war going on. It's all been put down. It's all been set. You go 56 and a 55, instant justice, right into the lake and hell, and not the lake of fire. Hell you go. There's no, wait a minute, where's my grace period? None of that. Righteousness, justice sits on the throne. Boy, you know where you're standing then, don't you? You wouldn't do 55, you'd do probably 40. 
I get new tires on my truck and I'm off my speedometer by three miles. I'm three miles over. I'm like, oh, we've been three miles under. So instead of 80, I'm doing, well, anyway. <laughs> okay? But see, the thing is, is in the kingdom, there's instant. None of this, I plead the fifth and give me the judge. No, boom, done. And you know what? The earth sees that. They know it. The 12 tribes are out there doing the Matthew 28. They're teaching the nations and they're going and they're saying, you see the guy up there in the beloved city, Jerusalem, you see him, he's who we're talking about. He's what all this is focusing on and pushing towards and looking at. And they're like, hey, let's go. Those 10 Gentiles grab onto the Jew there, you know, and they speak, be able to have the tongues issue and they go up there. Why? Because in the millennial kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's sitting on that throne, he's ruling, he's reigning, absolute. Man sees this, knows what's going on, and can't still, Romans 1.28, still has this in their thinking because of their sin nature. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. You know what man says? We don't want him. We reject all that. And in that kingdom, what God is doing, as he sits on the throne and ushers out, is he is dismantling the adversary's mechanisms to discredit the knowledge of God. Just as he dispossessed him from the heavens, he is dismantling him, dispossessing him from the earth. And he's doing it by steps. And the whole purpose of the millennial kingdom is an opportunity to demonstrate that it really wasn't the devil that made you do it. It was sin and the sin nature. And the guy that took care of it the guy that was the sacrifice once for all is sitting over there on that throne. Adam, think about Adam. Adam made a choice to sin. You know what Satan did? He just produced the opportunity for Adam to make that choice. That's all he did. Paul calls it the course of this world. But you know what? Adam did it. So in the millennial kingdom, by the way, he's let loose. He's destroyed down in the lake of fire. Then we have the great white throne judgment, the final disposition of all. Death, hell, the sea, all of that cast into the lake of fire. And then we go to the new heaven and to the new earth. In the kingdom, the Old Testament saints, oh, David is on the throne, the twelve's in their place, the twelve tribes are in their place, and they're flowing out doing Matthew 28, the end of Matthew 28, that, the, the commission there. Okay? Now come back to Ephesians 2, and let's see our connection in all of this. Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7, and we'll be done. I hope you see what's going on while we're looking at all this we're going to go get some other things the next couple of weeks and have a, have, a, have a good time, hopefully. But if you can grasp this, you don't have to know every little detail where every little verse is. 
just understand the big picture. What will help now is when you think about us and our participation in it. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We sit together. We are participants in everything he's doing. While all of this is going on down on the earth, he has taken us and he has placed us into our positions of authority, of government. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his what? Of his grace. Where? And his kindness towards who? The reason of that, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward who? Us. Through, think about what people will be seeing during that thousand years as they gaze to the heaven. They will be seeing the exceeding riches of his grace towards us. A group of people that are undeserving, outcast, low-down, dirty, rotten dogs, don't deserve a mention on the blip of history. Yet where are we? In his son. We're his. God has taken us and he has made us I like to think about like a trophy case. We're trophies that demonstrate his grace in a most marvelous manner ever to be seen. Verse 7, the ages to come, he's going to do what? Put us on display. And you know what the people down here see as they go through this and they're looking up there? You know what they begin to see? They see the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. That's fantastic. So our part right now in time, because it's godliness is profitable now, out there in the future as well, right? Our part now in the present life is for us to have the proper response to who we are in Christ. And when we have that proper response, that begins to then give us some skill, begins to give us some understanding to go out there and to put on display. He would have all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Right now, that's right now. We're, as we're doing that, as we're putting on to display the fellowship, you know what happens? You begin to develop skill set. You ever have OJT on the job training? You go through, and then as you go along, you get better at it, and then you keep getting better at it, and you remember the day 35, 40 years ago when you go, man, I was a rookie. As a ro I was so green, I wasn't even funny. They should have left me on the tree. See? That's what's happening with you and I today. As we go and as we learn and as we grow and as we take in the, the grace life doctrines and as we put them, we begin to put on display now the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. But we then will have that skill set, that capacity to go and do it out there as well. And I'll be honest with you, the last couple of weeks, the last couple months, 
You hear all this stuff about the church doesn't need to meet together because the building isn't the church and the church is the... And, and we understand that. But when you come into a local church and why a local church is so critical and so important is because the local church becomes not only the classroom where you communicate the doctrine and you learn it and you study it, but then it becomes the laboratory where you come in and now you go practice what you've learned in the classroom and you begin to work together and you, you come together. And I'll be honest with you, the lab time is needed sometimes more than the classroom instruction. You sit in biology class? I did anyway. I snoozed, man. I hated that class. Until they said, we're going to talk about dissection. I'm like, all right, cool. Get to cut something open, you know. So you go over there and you cut open the frog or the heart or whatever, you know, you're working on. And you go, wow, that's really cool. And then the teacher goes, yeah, but Rick, if you'd have been listening in the class, you would understand what you're looking at. I go, I know what I'm looking at. I can get the book and open that, you know. Typical guy, you know. But see, the thing is, is what do you need? You need the classroom instruction, but you need the laboratory so that you can develop the skill set, so you can develop the doctrine. That's why the local church is so important. Not so you guys get together and see each other and hang out and have coffee and talk. That's important, but it's the laboratory. What are you doing when you're doing that? And often, too often times, you get stuck in the world out there and they don't, oh, you don't need the church building, you don't need this. And yet, yeah, you do. So you can get together. Now, we can meet anywhere. That, the place isn't the issue. What's the issue? Coming together. But what that has is that has that eternal effect out there as it does now. And that's what's important. I hope you get the plan. God isn't just whistling up there and thinking, ah, one day. He's got a plan. And we participate in that plan. And we right now need to develop some skill sets. Put it on display now. But also to be able to work out there quicker, if you will. Okay? Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that all of this is, we've been looking at this morning is studied right here in your word. You haven't left us without it. It's right here. And we thank you for that. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that we say and do, but also for each other because we're all in you. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand.